Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Wavelengths, an Amphenol Broadband Solutions podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show as we continue to break down major trends, technology topics, and the major tectonic plate shifting forces that are shaping um, the larger broadband network industries and telecom at large. So thanks again for joining us here on the show. Uh, make sure that you're heading to our website, amphenolbroadband.com. Again, that's amphenolbroadband.com. Uh, for more uh, information on our solutions and services, obviously, but also for more info on our podcast, you can find more episodes of the podcast, um, including you know a catalog of previous conversations, as well as notifications when we drop new episodes. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just hit that subscribe button and you'll have that full catalog again of previous and upcoming episodes. All right, team, let's jump in. Today, we are diving deep into a topic that uh, is increasingly on people's minds, whether you are, um, you know, coming at it from a perf uh, professional lens or really a personal lens, that is security and privacy protection around connected homes and connected devices in general. So again, as our homes, our work sites, our offices, government buildings, I mean, you name it, as everything becomes smarter and filled with IOT devices, everything from a smart thermostat to um, a smart fridge, right? The question of security and privacy becomes increasingly critical. And the landscape is changing fast. Um, there's more headlines highlighting uh, solutions, risks, and the general ecosystem around securing the privacy of end user information across IOT networks. And so today we wanted to really unpack this dynamic, right, and get a pulse on the current health of IoT uh, cybersecurity, you could say, and how that is affecting various nodes in this IoT ecosystem. So we're going to be covering a range of topics today, including some of the most pressing security risks that connected homes and um, you know buildings face today and what you can be doing about it uh, the role of mass-produced iot devices in security right are they doing enough uh, we're going to bring up some recent news around Amazon Ring. We're going to be speaking on the U.S. Cyber Trust Mark, which is um, a U.S. Uh, approach to standardizing security and privacy measures around IoT ecosystems. And we're going to be chatting, too, about the shared responsibility, again, of securing IoT ecosystems. Who is it? Is it the end users, the ISPs, the IoT device manufacturers, or is it a little bit of everyone? So let's go ahead and jump in. We're going to be breaking all this down and more with our guest, Mr. Thomas Pace, CEO at NetRise. Thomas, great to have you on. How are you doing today? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. NetRise is a cloud-based and machine learning-driven product security platform and solution for IoT devices serving everything from residential to commercial and industrial applications. And Thomas spends a lot of time in this IoT ecosystem. Um, and I'm very excited to be pulling from his perspectives today. So again, Thomas, thanks for joining us. And I'll open it up to you here. Could you just give our audience a little more background on your expertise um, and some of the perspectives that you're going to be pulling from for today's conversation? I think the two sets of experiences that are most relevant uh, for the purpose of this conversation are going to be uh, I spent a number of years at Department of Energy doing industrial control system security, where I was tasked with a number of things, but 
uh, most relevant for this would be um, helping to determine the impact of various vulnerabilities and risks against those industrial control systems, um, of which we obviously had a few. And what was made very apparent to me quite quickly was there was no technical capability really out there uh, that that was able to answer those questions in any kind of meaningful way. And so the only thing you were really left uh, with the option to do was manually reverse engineer things or <clears throat> reach out to the device manufacturers, uh, which is a less than effective um, approach for the most part. And then uh, after that, I worked at a company called Silence, where I also had a number of you know different roles, but I oversaw our IoT firmware and embedded system engagements. So basically, we were doing the work um, that we have automated here at NetRise in a, in a manual format um, at a place like Silence for overwhelmingly very large device manufacturers, automotive, medical device, satellite manufacturers, really, you name it across the board. And so... Those two sets of experiences are really what uh, informed this the most, but did a number of other things as well. So let's go ahead and jump in then into the meat of the conversation. Uh, I want to start by just painting a, a pretty wide picture here of what you see as the current state of IoT security and IoT security risks. So again, as IoT devices have become increasingly integrated into today's modern home, modern residence, security vulnerabilities have also escalated. So I'm curious if you can share your perspective on what you see as those most pressing security risks that connected devices face today. Uh, give us your pulse. Where are things at? You know, you've hit the nail on the head in terms of the number of devices that people are using in their homes and just even from a commercial perspective has increased in a very exponential way. Uh, however, the security solutions have not increased in a commensurate fashion whatsoever. And so what happens when you have that dynamic is obviously something that's not particularly positive. Um, and so what I really think is the fundamental problem here as it relates to the security or lack thereof of these devices is just a total lack of visibility in terms of what is even on these devices. Uh, what software components are they running? How old are they? What vulnerabilities exist? Um, are there credentials that are easy to break, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, versus you think about laptops, desktop servers, like those things have thousands and thousands of different security solutions and technologies that can be, you know, installed directly, put in front of, there's just a number of, you know, ways that it's what the whole cybersecurity industry was, you know, built for, obviously. Um, and yet we don't have the same solutioning uh, being developed for these kinds of devices, which is obviously why we started NetRise. So that's the big issue I see is that without visibility, all the other things, you can't, you can't really build these other solutions and take all of these mitigating and remediation um, actions without having the visibility, which is what we are sorely lacking. Before we get a little more into that visibility layer, which we'll touch on here, um, I want to get your thoughts on various of, uh, I guess, the motivators behind the initial increase in risk in the first place, right? Um, main reason being IoT devices have, uh, you know, really become a, a staple of the modern home. I mean, I'll raise my hand here and say most of the lights in my... Uh, apartment are the Philips Hue lights, right? So I've got a ton of these 
fun lights. I can control all the vibes on my phone, but hey, it's now a bunch of new nodes um, that potentially pose a security risk. And so, again, I think this highlights that just the mass production of IoT devices and the scope of, of how a consumer uh, or uh, an office worker or an on-site industrial worker, like the the nodes and connections they now have with IoT devices have increased tenfold. Um, at large, would you say that these devices, these kind of mass-produced, commonplace IoT devices, are they making security enough of a priority in your view today uh, or not, right? What do you think? Well, are, are they playing their role well, essentially? I don't think so. Um there's and I think there's good reasons for that, and I think there's bad reasons for that. Uh, I mean, time to market is what matters, not secure to market. Uh, that's just the reality we live in. Um, that applies to Microsoft. That applies to Google. That applies to just about every company on planet Earth. Uh, so, and until that changes, uh, I think that's the environment that we're going to continue to to operate in. Um, what's interesting is. When you have newer companies, newer companies benefit from starting from scratch, basically. So if you look at some devices that are even new, but created by companies that have been around, been around a long time and have and are significantly more valuable and have much more capital and revenue than, than a smaller company, what you'll find sometimes is the newer company and smaller company will actually kind of create a more secure device. Um, kind of on accident, um, just because they're using newer components. Uh, their, their baseline from when they started is just a newer point in time than when another company started. So you might have one company leveraging firmware and software components that are 10 years old because that's when they started creating a particular device or device type. And for them to change that requires them to basically start from scratch, which many companies are just unwilling to do uh, because of the engineering effort that, that is required to do so. And frankly, the market is not demanding them to do it, right? Why? Because the market does not have visibility into the problem. So you find yourself in this like catch 22 kind of um, as, 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 it, as it goes. So uh, no one's really held their feet to the fire because there hasn't really been solution sets in place um, that, that were capable of doing so. But I think we're gonna talk a bit more about some of those uh, vehicles in which that can happen. Uh, I want to keep painting this picture here for a little bit. So our audience kind of gets the scope of things. Um, you know, it, this concept of IoT security, um, I think it, it gets a renewed focus, obviously, when there is a major breach uh, or there is some back and forth between regulators and, um, you know, major manufacturers or resellers of these devices. One big example that was hard to miss was Amazon's uh, Ring cameras. So they were recently fined 30 million, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things for a company as big as Amazon's pretty much a drop in the bucket. Right. Um, but it was fined 30 million for its uh, security issues around its Ring cameras. So basically what happened was the company allowed employees or contractors to access consumers' private videos and didn't implement basic privacy and security protections, which then enabled hackers to take control of some consumers' accounts, cameras, and videos. So now under a proposed order, Ring is going to be required to delete data products derived from these videos that it 
unlawfully reviewed, and it's going to be forced to implement a privacy and security program with some new safeguards. So that's just some context for our audience here. But I'm curious, um, you know, your perspective here, if some of the most high profile IoT devices on the market are posing a security risk, what do you think this kind of says about the state of IoT security health on the market today? What can we learn from these challenges, you know, whether it's about um, improving safeguards on devices, whether it's about the, you know, uh, appropriately investing in proper security solutions. Just give us your thoughts here. Especially as it relates to consumer products. Um, there's a really important dynamic I think that is lost on most people. And that is you, the, the idea that you think you can buy a piece of technology that is pretty advanced uh, and can do some really impressive things like night vision and activity tracking and notify, like does all these things for like a hundred dollars. And if you think that's all you're paying, I'm sorry to tell you that you're not. Um, you are the product. Congratulations. Uh, the data that you have willingly decided to send back up to Amazon and their cloud if, if, if you thought that that wasn't going to be used to generate other products and create additional revenue streams, um, I'm envious of the naivete in which you operated on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and whether or not that was legal or illegal or they were supposed to or not supposed to is kind of secondary, frankly. Uh, the, if anyone thinks that Amazon cares at all about a $30 million fine, I'm here to tell you that they do not. Um, so, uh, that's not really even the state of the device itself. That's just welcome to consumer products. Now that's just what it is. Um, if you want these features and these capabilities and this functionality, you're, th this is the price you're going to pay, uh, for the vast majority of people. Uh, you know, there are, there are things you can do as an end user to prohibit certain things and not sync things to the cloud and like all that. In general, that's that's going to be totally ignored by most people, and they're just going to continue streaming all of their data to some third party. That's just what it is, right? Uh, now, so that's more of an onus on like the corporate structure as a whole, uh, as as it relates to the you know devices themselves. I I think some of the bigger companies, um, especially on the consumer side, tend to do a, a slightly better job. Uh, because they understand that they're basically deploying devices into totally unknown territory uh, for them. You know, they're just hooking it up to some router provided by some ISP and hoping for the best. Whereas if you're selling things into like commercial enterprises, you're operating under a very different set of expectations. Uh, this thing's going to be behind a firewall. This thing is going to have a program around it. This thing, whatever, whatever, whatever. So it's actually kind of crazy when you think about it. You would hope that some of these devices would go through more of a security certification process for the enterprise versus consumer, but it almost doesn't seem to be the case. Um, and there's a lot of other things you can talk about, like encryption. Most consumer devices are encrypted. Most enterprise ones are not. So that's another fascinating data point i think i mean I, I think it paints uh paints an important picture that you know the responsibility of security falls on a lot of different plates um 
and you know to harp on another point that, that you brought up um you know it it makes mm, I guess it makes some sense that consumers are going to be incentivized to like not put up safeguards around their data when connecting to the cloud is almost and and that data being fed up to the cloud is almost baked in with the service itself. So if your devices are disconnected from the cloud and aren't really sending feedback data out or you know you're you're keeping them as isolated as possible um, a lot of the benefits of that connected ecosystem and the insights that you get as a consumer around your connected ecosystem start to feel limited. And so, you know, the access to the data is almost tied in intrinsically to the service itself to make it enticing to say, yeah, sure, I'll sell my data as well, you know, for the cheap price of buying a cool piece of tech, right? So it, it is interesting to see that dynamic at play. It, uh, what are your thoughts on that? That's exactly what it is. I mean, we all do it willingly. Um, if we do it, like, I don't want to go buy a giant, like storage area network and manage and maintain that at my house. I want to plug in a Google Nest camera and be done. You bring up a good point, right? That this is a large ecosystem with a lot of nodes. And so as these devices grow in their reach, the question of where security is most needed, but also where a responsibility for securing the IoT ecosystem falls starts to come into focus. And there's now a debate around this, right? So uh, I've seen some reports uh, that put a little more emphasis on IoT device origin, right? So people that are buying their devices, you should look into where is your device coming from? Who's manufacturing it? Um, what are their um, you know, privacy and security standards? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But there's also the network that these devices run on, and securing said network. Uh, there's also, you know, best practices by the end users themselves. So I'm curious if you have to unpack that responsibility ecosystem. Where would you say that responsibility chiefly lies? Right, with end users, with ISPs and network infrastructure providers, IoT device manufacturers, IoT device resellers, you know, third party solutions and providers like. Uh, unpack that for us, right? Because uh, there's a lot of players. Yeah, I mean, I actually tend to think it's it's a complex problem that has that's relatively straightforward. I think actually. So, first off, the market dictates what happens, right? I'm a I'm a capitalist through and through, which will come through in some of the comments about like the cyber trust mark. I think a bit later on. Uh, so as a and if the market isn't going to change how they formulate opinions on what is good. And, and, and how things should be, guess what? They won't change. Um, and in addition, we're talking about unbelievably regulated uh, you know, systems here, telecommunications infrastructure. I mean, you can't get more regulated than that. Um, and so what happens in regulated environments? Do we see like, do we see great innovation in those? No, no, we do not. Uh, so this, the fact that we haven't seen like this great change and that security maybe isn't what we want it to be. If that's a surprise to anyone, um, I don't know what reality you've been operating in, but, uh, so in terms of the, the, the ultimate responsibility, if we just look at this philosophically is always on the person who chooses to accept a given risk. That's just, that's a really uncomfortable reality that people don't like to hear. Right. Uh, they're like, well, what about the device manufacturer? And it's like they they possess a responsibility as well. They do. But at the end of the day, at the very end of the day, if you buy a thing 
or subscribe to a service or drive a car, congratulations, you have accepted that risk. If, if your car has a faulty, whatever, brake pedal, and if the brakes don't work and you slam into a wall and die, someone from that car manufacturer does not die. You do. You have accepted the risk. That's it. If you buy a camera and put it into your house and stream video that you don't want someone to see to a third party, you have accepted that risk, period. It's just, it's not, that's what I mean about it being like a simple thing at the end of the day, kind of. Like you have made this decision willingly. No one has held a gun to your head to do this thing. No one told you not to buy this camera or this car or this service or join this ISP or, 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 or. Now, all of that being true, uh, the device manufacturers have, have, have a part of this responsibility as well. I mean, arguably the biggest part of the responsibility since they are the ones who are generating the revenue from this and you know putting these things into the market. Um, so I guess that's, uh, it, it, and by the way, you can see from CISA who has this massive secure by design initiative uh, that is one of the pillars of the national cybersecurity plan is pushing back on the device manufacturers and saying, this is your responsibility and you need to be the people who make these devices more secure. Well, yeah, <laughs> no one else can do it. Um, like I can't, this is very different than like Microsoft and Windows. If you give me an insecure Windows operating system, you can make it secure doing a bunch of other things. You don't really have that opportunity uh, as it relates to routers, switches, security cameras. Those are closed systems. You can't just arbitrarily open them up and like start removing things and then just expect your device to keep working. We don't have that level of understanding and that violates warranties. Like it's a, it's a different paradigm. So uh, if that is the case, which it is, then someone else needs to apply pressure back to the device manufacturers to ensure those devices are more secure, which is exactly what CISA and other organizations are trying to do. Hey everyone, different Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, popping in here to interrupt your podcast and let you know we're actually going to be cutting this conversation in two. There was just so much good content and we want to make sure that you can engage with it intentionally that we decided let's go ahead and split this up into a part one and a part two. So we're going to have more conversations here with Mr. Thomas Pace, CEO of NetRise, coming very soon. Make sure that you subscribe to uh, Amphenol Broadband Solutions podcast wavelengths on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous episodes, as well as notifications when we drop part two of our conversation with the CEO of NetRise again, Mr. Thomas Pace. So thanks again for your time today. Looking forward to continuing our conversation here with Thomas. But till then, I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll be back with part two of this episode on Wavelengths.